0: Hallelujah. Oof. Oh, thank God. You may be seated. Thank you, guys. Great job. Worship team. We'll be back. Just, just a short little. Good evening, everyone. Good evening. Try that again. Good evening, everyone. Good evening. Glad you're in church tonight, and I pray that you may be blessed. In the time that we spend in the next few minutes. I don't intend to speak for too long. We'll speak a little bit. Then we're going to end the night in a combination of prayer and worship. If that's okay, Pastor. Um, hmm. How many were here last night? Were able to attend last night? Let me see if I show of your hands. Praise the Lord. I always like to begin with a question. What did you learn yesterday? What did the Lord speak to you? Let me get two or three people to... To share what God revealed to them. What did you learn last night? What did the Lord say to you? Anybody at all? Say it loud. Let's he hear it. The treasures of God are hidden. Amen. God is a, he doesn't hide them f- from you. He hides them for you. You know, in the book of Revelation, he talks about, I will cause you to eat of the hidden manna. Amen. The hidden manna is the manna that was found in the Ark of the Covenant, beyond the veil. What the Lord instructed Moses and Aaron to do was to put inside the ark that represented God's presence, the road of Aaron, amen, you know, a replica of the Ten Commandments and a, a little basin of manna that is called a hidden manna. It's a hidden food that is hidden, yeah, that you only find in the presence of God. So that the things of the Lord that are precious, they are accessed in the place of hiddenness. You have to go there to get it. You have to get alone with the Lord. You have to enjoy fellowship and intimacy with God. The Bible says that secrets of the Lord are with them that fear him, and to them he shows them his covenant. Amen. What else did we learn? What's that? Practice quiet time. time. Amen. Practice the time that cultivates the presence of God in your life. And it's not a place where you go in twos or threes. It's a place where you go one-on-one with God. I just heard from a brother in uh, Houston where I was a couple weeks ago, and he just says, Felix, I did as you told me, and I prepared a place to get alone with the Lord, and he's been having beautiful encounters with the Lord in his morning time alone with God. All of that has always been available. You have a place in your house for a TV, you can have a place in your house to meet with God. Amen. Amen. If you have a place for other things where you dump your dirty laundry, amen, you can make a place where you can meet alone with with the Lord. Please, 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 please take this seriously. Spend time alone with the Lord. I grew up in a generation that was encouraged to have quiet time. Amen. And it's in quiet time that the Lord speaks to you. It's in quiet time that you learn to hear the voice of God. Amen. For you guys that are worshipers, it's the worship you do alone when nobody else is there. The band is not there. That's what enables you to eavesdrop on the sound that is taking place in heaven. When you cultivate a private worship time, you'll be amazed at the things that the Lord will begin to reveal. And new songs will begin to come out of you, flow like a river. Let me take one more. What did we learn from yesterday? One more. God is, to God is attracted to seekers. Amen. You know, when you look at uh, the people that we love in Scripture, they spend a lot of time in solitude with the Lord. Amen. I am going to speak of one of them tonight, maybe one or two. And you'll find that the encounters they had with God, there was nobody else that was there. It was a man alone with the Lord. With Jacob, he sent his family across the river Jeroboam and he stayed on one part all by himself all night, one man by himself. And it was there that he had an encounter with the Lord. But seeking sometimes means you pull away from the crowd to get into solitude with God. God is always drawn to a true seeker. Amen. One who seriously, he says what? You shall search for me and find me when you search for me with all of your heart. That was the secret of Daniel. He sought the face of the Lord in quietness and it was there that it was revealed to him that the Lord was going to deliver his people from Babylon. And he could become a key to that deliverance because in his quiet time with the Lord, the Lord revealed to him some secrets and spoke to him. God is attracted to secrets. For today, I'm going to talk on a subject that we are all very familiar with. A lot of it is what we were doing tonight. Because I'm intrigued by certain things in scripture. And I've also seen them operate in the natural. And uh, let's go to the book of Genesis chapter 28. I think I'm going to start there. I'm going to start with uh, Jacob's encounter. Genesis chapter 28. When you're there, say amen. Come on, when you're there, say amen. All right, cool. In Genesis chapter 28, this is a place that, sometimes, that I believe it somehow reveals a concept that it was always in the heart of God. But it took centuries for that truth to unfold. And that truth is hidden in one little uh, situation that happened here. Let me see if we can find it. So from verse 10, here's here's what it says. Now Jacob went out from Beersheba and he went into Haran. So he came to a certain place. Somebody say a certain place. Come on, talk to me. Say a certain place. What What is noteworthy about that terminology? It's that it's a very specific place. Here's what you find out in the church. One of the things when you study theology that you learn is what is called the omnipresence of God. When we talk about the characters of God, there's a threefold character character that is discussed in in, in theology. We say that God is omnipotent. What does omnipotent mean? All-powerful. We say that God is omniscient. What does omniscient mean? All-knowing. Amen. Uh, Then we say that God is omnipresent. What does omnipresence mean? That is present everywhere equally at the same time. Yes, we argue that. But here's what I've come to realize there are certain places that the Lord marks with his presence that it's not his omnipresence that is there. It is his manifest presence. And so when we study places of encounter, God met with his people in certain or in specific places. I'm speaking to you as Zion today in a prophetic thing that the Lord gave me as I was in this front row. When you saw me pull out my notebook, I, I believe the Lord was speaking to me. So here's what happens. As, as this revelation is unfolding, I want you to watch for keywords. From verse 10, let's read again. It says, And it came to pass, uh, where am I? Now Jacob went from Beersheba. Notice how the Bible is naming locations. Amen. God is a very location-centered God. So he came to a certain place, and he stayed there all night because the sun had set. And he took off one of the stones of that place. Why is the Lord keeping repeating this? It almost sounds redundant. He went to a certain place, and he took What other rock could he take from where else? He was in that place, so the rock he will use is from that place. Why would the Lord repeat that? Because the Lord is about to unveil a secret. Amen. It's all deliberate. There's nothing redundant in scripture. Whenever you see repetition, it's because the Lord wants to bring some level of emphasis. So let's read along. It says this, and um and, and, and so he says he took one of the stones off that place and put it at his head and he lay down in that place to sleep. Where else could he have slept? Why does the Lord keep repeating this location? He went to a certain place and he found a certain place. He found a rock of that place and then he slept in that place. We get it. What's the big idea? You're going to find out. Just be patient. Amen. It says, then he dreamed and behold, a ladder was set up on earth and its top reached heaven. And there the angels of the Lord were descending or rather ascending and descending on it. And behold, the Lord stood above it. And said, I am the Lord God of your of Abraham your father, and the God of Isaac, and the land on which you are standing, I will give it to you and your descendants. Why? It was specific location. It was very location sensitive and specific. And also your descendants shall be as the dust of the earth, and you shall spread abroad to the west, and to the east, and to the north, and to the south. And in you and in your seed... Shall all the family of the earth be blessed? Behold, I am with you. I will keep you I in verse 15, wherever you go. And I will bring you back to this specific place, this land. For I will not leave you until I have done what I have spoken to you. Then Jacob woke up from his sleep and said, Surely the Lord is where? In this place. And I didn't know. It doesn't mean the Lord is not everywhere. I know God is everywhere. But Jacob was dealing with specifics. Now notice, again, let me sound at the risk of boring you i'm going to repeat what the bible said jacob went to a certain place and he spent the night at that certain place and when he was there he took a rock of that place and he slept in that place and when he slept he had a dream that there was a ladder that touched the ground on the earth where in that place and it reached where? Into the heavens. And the angels of the Lord were ascending and descending over what? That piece of ground. And when Jacob woke up, his conclusion was what? Surely the Lord is where? Everywhere? Now, nah. Surely the Lord is in this place. And I did not know it. Oh, God help me. What was this a revelation of? The revelation becomes apparent what Jacob was seeing in a prophetic uh, communication. Let me read right along and see if we can bring it out in the open. From verse 17 and he was afraid and said how awesome is this what? How awesome is this place? Okay dude we get it. It's a special place. Like seriously we get it. Surely the Lord is in this place. Oh how awesome is the Lord? No. How awesome is this place? He's talking about location. Somebody say location. Somebody say location. Location. Okay, let me get ahead of myself and say this. I'm talking about there's, uh, there's something that we do that consecrates an area or a piece of ground. It can be your home. It can even be your car. But right now, I want to speak concerning your church. That consecrates a ground to become a place of encounter with the Lord. I remember years ago, I was going to uh, a Benny Hinn Crusade in, uh, in Albuquerque. I was in Bible College. And uh, we had volunteered to help out there. And uh, the gentleman that I was riding in the car with he had just bought a, a car. It was maybe six months old. Uh, it was a and I remember that. A Red master and fairly new. I sat on the passenger side and as soon as we started to drive from Denver seven hours to Albuquerque I felt saturated in glory so I looked at my brother and I asked him and I said listen man, where do you have your quiet time? He says, Felix, I have a 45 minute commute to go to work. So he says, I have my quiet time in my car and I said, I know that. He says, how do you know that? Because what I could conclude was what? Surely the Lord is in this Place. place. I could sense the presence of God in that place. Sometimes I'll go into a home And I'll have an open heaven experience like I had in your home. Brother hardly slept in your home, by the way, just to let you know. I was up most of the night tonight. And even in the afternoon when I went to nap, I was in the presence of God the whole time I was there. And I could also conclude, surely the Lord is what in this place. You can walk into certain environments. I can walk into a church and I can tell if that church has opened up the heavens with prayer or if they are getting along. If I go into a church that's not getting along, I usually don't feel God. I have a hard time sensing God. I don't have to know the details. I just sense it. If I go in a home where you're fighting, I don't feel the presence of God. And that's when I don't have to ask too many questions. I just begin to look for clues. Is everything okay in this house? Why? Because there's something When a place is consecrated unto God. You know that you know that you know. You've walked into holy territory. One of the desires of my heart tonight was to sing the song Holy Ground. And so, I don't know if it was part of your worship set, but I just knew that when you were singing, what? For we are standing on holy ground, because as I was preparing for the sermon today, the Lord took me to Moses' his encounter with God by the burning bush. The Lord said to Moses, Genesis, I think it's Exodus chapter 3 and verse 5, Don't come any closer. Why? You've entered into consecrated territory. Take your sandals off. Why? For the ground whereupon you're standing is holy. Does that mean every other ground is not holy? Yes. But I thought God was everywhere. No, that was a place of divine encounter. So the question a good student will have is, how do I cultivate a spot of encounter with the Lord? Because the Lord does not show up equally in all places at once. He does have specific places where he shows up. Are you okay? How do I prepare a place in my home for God's glory to come in and reside Parents, let me tell you a secret. I don't care how much you speak to your youngsters and your kids. I don't care how much you preach to them. What will enable them to walk this walk with God is a personal encounter with God. So sometimes the best thing you can do is to facilitate an environment where they can feel God for themselves. I was at an ICP of camp a number of years ago, and a youngster came up to me, a PK, a preacher's kid, a pastor's kid, and says, Pastor Felix, I was raised in church. My dad is a very well-known minister here, and I'll be honest with you, I don't know what you mean when you say the presence of God. I've never felt anything. I've never encountered anything. I'm not even really sure if God is alive, and he came into my room at almost midnight on Friday. And his heart was broken because he had been in an environment where other kids were worshipping God and he felt nothing, man. He says, I was there, I felt absolutely nothing. I don't know what they were carrying on about. Some of them were irritating me because of their, you know how ICBF camp kids can go loud and obnoxious. So he says, I was just, so he says this. "I," I said, what do you want? He says, I want to know for myself that God is real. I said, hold hands with me. We prayed in my room that night and I just begged God. I said, Father, before this camp is over. Please, Father, if I'm I'm your son and I'm your servant, before this camp is over, let this young man know that the God we preach is not just some concept. He's not just a religious figure. He's not just a head of a religious movement. He is as real and more real than you. So we prayed for that young man, and I kept an eye out. Saturday, all day Saturday, I kept on asking the Lord. I said, Father, I know you're going to touch a lot of kids tonight, but I'm making a petition for one youngster. This pastor's kid needs to know that the God he hears priest in his church is not just some concept of some backward people that that are not intellectually inclined because if you're intellectual how can you believe in that garbage like some of these uh, you know teachers are telling their, your kids in these liberal arts colleges so anyway we just kept on trusting God that night I just remember we preached I preached the best way I could but during the during the the freedom hour which is the time of worship all of a sudden I saw a very tall kid jumping higher than everybody else, oh, screaming and jumping. The kid was already tall. He did not need to jump that high, but he was going for it and shooting up like this and, and God is real, God is real, God is real and that's what we're looking for because that's an argument nobody can ever take away from that kid. I can try and intellectually convince him of the reality of God's existence and I can appeal to him in a, in you, know, you know, apologists are wonderful people. I've just never seen them get a bunch of people saved. I've seen them wow us. With how they can intelligently, you know, uh, defend the gospel. But I've never seen somebody saying, Oh, I'm so, I want Jesus after I hear that. They just impress people because certain things they appeal to the intellect, but the touch of God is undeniable. Can a generation be changed? My youth group in Zimbabwe, which we call the Anointed Generation, my brother, they were changed in one night, one night on a Saturday night. We didn't know what was going to happen. We kept meeting, seeking God. Kept, and I kept, Father, please, I'm preaching to this kids. I don't know if they're getting it. I'm pre- I-, I don't know if they get One Saturday night, as we worshiped the Lord with one voice, the Lord walked into that building and touched those kids. And those kids are in the ministry today. And one of them, is, his name is Taffy. Got a hold of me. Pastor Phillips, what's up? I'm going to preach at an evangelistic meeting in Zimbabwe this weekend. Can you cover me in prayer? I said, boy, I've got you. He said, I'm also preaching in Dallas. Cover me in prayer. He says, Pastor, I've got you. This kid was like a man that did not know who God was. He got touched in a youth meeting on one Saturday night. And this is 20 years later and he's serving God in the ministry today. Ah... Surely the Lord is in this place, and I did not know it. Pentecostalism used to be more than a good religious argument, it used to be an experience. Are you here? The Assemblies of God, where where was the Assemblies of God born out of? It was born out of the Azusa. The Azusa outpouring in Los Angeles. Two streams came out of Azusa. The first stream is the Church of God in Christ, which is, you know, the African-American branch of the Church of God in Christ. It has its own bishopry. The other movement that came out of Azusa is the Assemblies of God as a concept. Came out of what? The experience of the Holy Ghost that happened on the East Coast, on the West Coast, rather, in a little barn. Before this was a religious concept that we argued to protect it by good argument. It used to be an experience. So what am I talking about tonight? I'm talking about the reliving of that reality where we can all stand up and conclude that surely the Lord is in this place. And I did not know it. Have you ever been in a place where you sense the presence of God so overwhelming that you just couldn't, you like, my goodness, I, I, you did want, not want to leave. I've been many times in an environment like that. And I'm praying that this becomes this. Because when I was saying, "Lord, tell me about Zion, you, you know, you took me to, you uh, really took me to the book of, of, of Hebrews chapter 12. Let's see if we can turn something. Let me prophesy, then let me get back to my message. Hebrews chapter 12, turn there real quick. Let me tell you a little something about you as a church. Are you guys doing okay? Uh, okay. Thank you, Jesus. There's something to a name, by the way. Amen. If you don't think there's anything to a name, when you get to heaven, don't talk to Jacob because he'll be upset at you. Jacob will tell you, listen, a name is powerful. Names are not inconsequential. That's why the Lord would not let Mary and Joseph name Jesus whatever they wanted. He told them what to name. That's why he told Zacharias and Elizabeth what to name Han or what to name the kid called John. Because he was a, the forerunner of the preaching of grace. So he had to be given a name that was surrounded with grace. Even Samson, was, was, that name was given to Manoah by the angel that told him that you're going to have a son who shall be a deliverer. And you shall name his name Samson. The Lord used to name people because there's something to a name, which begs the question, what is within the name Zion? Let me prophesy, and then we'll get back to work. And here's what I found out. He says this from verse 18. For you have not come, of the, uh, Hebrews chapter 12, by the way. For you have not come to the mountain that may be touched and that burnt with fire into the blackness, into the darkness, into the tempest. Now, in this instance, the writer of the book of Hebrews, who, rem- who chose to remain anonymous, he didn't put his name on the writing. Those that study language understand that there's elements of Paul's doctrine in the book of Hebrews. But they also know there's a certain way that is ri- the writing in the language is that appear to not be Paul. So they know that it was somebody that walked with Paul, but it may, it may not have been Paul himself. For some reason he chose to remain anonymous. But let him speak to us today. He's talking about the time of Moses when Moses assembled the children of Israel at Mount, Mount Horeb. And he says, the Lord is going to manifest to you. The Lord is going to show up to you. And he's going to speak from, from out of the cloud. When Israel assembled a Mount, Mount Horeb, the Mount Horeb became marked as the mountain of God. God showed up with such power that the children of Israel did something that is really a check against them. Because they said to Moses, don't let us go to hear God. You go and hear from God on our behalf. And you tell us what he is saying. Because the closer we get to him, it's too frightening. So we don't want to approach God. But we'll let Moses approach God on our behalf. Now the book of Hebrews is trying to let us know that the time of having others represent you in God's presence is over because we are coming to a new reality where you have got to come in for yourself. So here's what he says. For you have not come to the mountain that may be touched and that burnt with fire and to the blackness and to the darkness and to the tempest and to the sound of the trumpet and the voice of the words so that those who heard it begged that the word should not be spoken to them anymore for they could not endure what was commanded, insomuch that as a beast touches the mountain, it shall be stoned or shot with an arrow. And so terrifying was the sight that Moses said, I am exceedingly uh, afraid and trembling. But you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God and to the heavenly Jerusalem and to an innumerable company of angels and to the general assembly of the church of the firstborn and to the registered in heaven to God the judge of all the, uh, and to the spirits of just men made perfect. He says but you would come to the mountain of God's presence. Zion is a symbol of a place where the glory and the dwelling place of God is experienced. continuously which you call yourself Zion you're calling yourself a house of God the mountain of God the mountain of God's assembly where his presence is felt continually so now here begs the question but Lord how do we host the presence of God worship Him. I need you to listen to me with the inner ear because the big question of everywhere where you go and minister is this your job is to help create an environment where God will be comfortable not where people are comfortable where God is comfortable And there's prerequisites to understanding how that is done. How do you fulfill your prophetic calling Zion? By becoming a house where God's presence feels at home. God help me. You are hosts of God's presence. So that those that drive in this property will have one conclusion. Surely the Lord is in this place. Let's see if the Bible can share with us some secrets as how well we can do that. The Lord made a proposal to Moses in the book of Exodus chapter 25. I'm going to just speak from there real quick, and we have to go quickly, and we've got to move. Exodus chapter 25. "Please hear me with the ear of the spirit, because the Lord is talking to you tonight, as a church, but also as an individual. Now I want you to notice in verse eight. Here's what the Lord said to Moses, and I'll give you the back story. The Lord established Israel, not just as a group of people, but as a group of people he wanted to enjoy fellowship with. What God wanted from Israel was people that could house him, and he could be with them, and they could be with him. It was not just to make a special nation of religious people. The Lord were people, was looking for people that were called by his own name. People he was in an eternal covenant with, to be with them, to be their God, and to have them be his people. He was not looking for people that would not just be servants, but we've come to understand that he was looking for people that he will eventually call my friends. The biggest thing that God wants from your life is not your religious activity. The main important thing that God wants from your life is you, It's a relationship with you. So now here's what the Lord said to Moses, because up until this time, Pastor Justin, when God wanted to come, he would set a special occasion, but he would only let Moses, and occasionally Joshua was allowed to join Moses, to come close to him, and he would speak to them, and they would speak to the people. But the desire that God had was what? To live in, within the camp of Israel. Now here's what the Lord said to Moses in, Genesis, in rather Exodus chapter 25 and verse 8. And let them make me a sanctuary, that I might dwell amongst them. What does he say? Let them make me a sanctuary. Can you all hear me? Let them make me a sanctuary that I might dwell amongst them. What was the Lord revealing? A desire to live within the camp of Israel. God doesn't want to visit your home. He wants to live within your house. Amen. He doesn't want to visit your town. He wants to live within your town. He's not looking for a place to visit. He's looking for a place to dwell. But look at how the Lord then tells Moses. Because the Lord then gives very specific instructions as to the environment where God can dwell. Father, please help your people to hear this. Then the Lord says this. Let them make me a sanctuary, verse 8, that I may dwell among them. According to all that I show you, that is the pattern of the tabernacle or the pattern of all its furnishings, so shall you make it. And the Lord says, and you shall make an ark of acacia wood. Half a cubit shall be its length, and a cubit and a half its width, and a cubit and a half its height. And you shall overlay it with pure gold, and inside and out, and you shall um, make it... Uh, on it, a molding and uh, all, all of gold all around and you shall cast four rings of gold on it and put them in four corners. Two rings shall be on each side and two rings on the other side. And you shall make a pole of acacia wood and you shall overlay it. Seriously? And you shall overlay it. Make a pole of acacia wood and you shall overlay it and where am I? Verse 16. And you shall put into the ark the testimony which I have given you and you shall make a mercy seat of pure gold. Listen to me very carefully. Two and a half cubits shall be its length and a cubit and a half its width. And you shall make two cherubim of gold of hammered work you shall make them and at the two ends of the mercy seat. You shall make one cherub at one end and you shall make another cherub at the other end and you shall make the cherubim at two ends of it from one piece and the mercy seat, and the cherubim shall stretch out their wings above, covering the mercy seat with their wings, and they shall face one another, and the faces of the cherubim shall be toward the mercy seat, and you shall put the mercy seat on top of the ark. Now, listen man, this sounds like An extravagant list of instructions, but the concept that the Lord is teaching is very simple. He communicated to Moses that what? I want to live amongst the children of Israel. Then he told Moses, I want you to construct me a tabernacle, but I want the first article of furniture to be the innermost article. Something that God called the Ark of the Covenant. What is the Ark of the Covenant a replica of? It is a replica of a picture of the heavenly scene. It's what happens in heaven. What happens in heaven is that the throne of the Lord is established in the center. Are you hearing me? Where is the throne of God? It's in the center. What is the throne of God in in, in the the Ark of the Covenant? It is represented by what is called the mercy seat. Because to you that are in covenant with God, his throne is not the throne of judgment. To you that are the children of God, his throne is the throne of mercy. But watch this. He says, you shall make a replica of what? Of two cherubim. What is a cherubim? Talk to me. What do you think a cherubim is? What is it? Does anybody not know? Do we know what, a ch- what cherubim are? What are they? What? Thank you. They're angelic beings. They are winged angelic beings. There's a reason why I'm teaching this, because if you don't understand the basis of worship, then you think you're worshiping when you don't. What has worship got to do with anything? You cannot get into God's presence without understanding the concept of true worship. How is true worship repl- replicated? Notice what the Lord wants. What is He trying to do? He's trying to find a place where He what dwells. He wants to live amongst you. So what does the Lord say to Moses? I want you to create a replica on earth of something that already exists in heaven. Let me share with you the secret. The most powerful thing God ever asked you to ask him is found in the book of Matthew chapter 6. And it's also found in the book of Luke chapter 11. It is what you and I call the Lord's Prayer. The first request in the Lord's Prayer is what? Let your kingdom and let your will be on as it is in heaven. What are you asking? You are asking for a manifestation of a heavenly truth in an earthly setting. You are saying to the Lord, as it is in heaven, so we desire for it to be in earth. Let me just say what I mean. In order for God to establish his presence in the place, whether it's your church or your house, you've got to understand the preconditions that house the presence of God. So what is revealed in the Ark of the Covenant was this. Two cherubim had to face each other. And their wings overshadow the throne of God. The Bible says their wings must touch each other. Above the mercy seat, which is a replica of what? Of the throne of God. Are we there? Are you listening? Okay. So in order for us to understand what all of that means... We go to the book of Isaiah chapter 6, and I'll, or to the book of Ezekiel chapter 1. Let me tell you what happened in Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 6, here's is what Isaiah says. He says that in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord. So what happened? Isaiah was invited into the throne room. Why? To observe what takes place in the throne room. What did he see in the throne room? He saw what he called seraphim. What are they? They're also winged angelic creatures. What do they do? They have six wings, the Bible says. With two wings, they cover their feet. With two wings, they cover their faces. And with two wings, they fly. And what do they do? They cry out, to God? No, to each other. What are they saying? Holy! And the other says, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The other says, the whole earth, the other one says, is filled with his glory. The entire environment of the throne room of God is surrounded by winged creatures that fly above the throne whose entire job is to tell the truth about him that sits upon the throne. And they declare this truth one to another. They cry out, holy! Another one says, holy, is the Lord God Almighty. The other one says, the whole earth! The other one said, is full of his glory. The other shouts, holy! And the other one says, is the Lord God Almighty. What are they? They are in complete agreement about the character of him that sits upon the throne. Let me share with you the secret that the Lord was showing Moses. He says, let two cherubim, face each other. Let their wings overshadow the throne or the mercy seat. And let both their eyes be fixed on the mercy seat. Meaning what? That heaven, God help me, heaven has in its environment creatures whose job is to be in relationship one with another. Joined in unity in their worship of him that sits upon the throne. Amen. The angels could not face away from each other. The angels said to what? Face each other. Let me tell you. Here is why Satan was demoted. Why Satan fell out of heaven. According to Ezekiel tw- chapter 28 from verse 14. It says what? Let me, let's go there. Let me show you something. Ezekiel chapter th- uh, 28. Turn there real quick. Are we doing okay? All right, cool. I know it's a little heavy, but I know you all can take it. The concept I'm actually sharing with you is very simple. And from from verse 11. Moreover the Lord came to me saying, son take up a lamentation against the king of Tyre. This is talking about the fall of Lucifer, the fall of Satan. He says, you were the seal of perfection, full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. You were in Eden, the garden of God. Every precious stone was your covering. The sardius, the topaz, the diamond, the beryl, the onyx, the jasper, the sapphire, the turquoise and the emerald with gold. The workmanship of your timbrels and pipes was prepared for you on the day you were created. Look at what he says to, to Satan, to Lucifer. You were the anointed cherub who covers. You were the anointed cherub who covers. What does that mean? He's saying you were one of those angelic hosts who cover the throne of God. With what? With your worship. Why? Because Isaiah let us know what happens before the throne is that angelic beings are in union and unity in their worship of him that sits upon the throne. When the devil turned away from the other host in worshiping God he was demoted from heaven and Jesus said I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Why? Because if you want to be in the environment of God's dwelling you have to understand how to stand in unity in worship. You have to face each other as you worship God. What is interesting if you do a study of this of the of the heavenly scene you will find that when isaiah was invited to heaven isaiah was the only man that was found in heaven everything else were angelic beings and creatures and then when you go to the book of ezekiel when ezekiel was invited into heaven you find that there was no other man in heaven but ezekiel but there were creatures that had a face that looked like a man but they also had a face that looked like an eagle and a face that looked like an ox but they had a face that looked like a man. So the closest thing to humanity in heaven were this creature that had one of his faces was the face of a man. Then you first track to the book of Revelation, chapter 4, when John the Revelator later was told, come up here. Now all of a sudden in heaven, what do you see? You see 24 elders. Are they angels? No. What are they? They're human beings. Where are they sitting? In the throne room. What are they doing? Worshiping. How? They're casting their thrones, their their crowns before the Lord. And they're worshiping, singing the song of the Lamb. What are human beings doing in heaven? We've been invading heaven since the time of Ezekiel. We've been entering into the realms of God since the time of Isaiah. When Isaiah was up there, he was the only one there. But we're coming in. But what are we doing there? We understand how to be before the presence of God. Because the only way to be before the presence is to what? Is to cover his throne with your worship. Then you go to the book of Revelation chapter 7. Do you see 24 elders? No. What do you see? A multitude. How many are there? Thousands upon thousands. Where are they? In the throne room. What are they doing? They've got their hands extended and they're worshiping the Lord. What has happened? Is that the angelic entourage that used to occupy the throne room to bring worship before the Lord has been replaced with you and I. What what is before the Lord? We are now in Mount Zion. Where what? In the presence of the Holy One. Which is what? Which is the place where the Lord is what? Just made, made perfect. This is the place where you that are sanctified are now allowed. You can come boldly into the throne of grace. But how do you enter into the throne of grace? You have to understand the etiquette of being in God's presence. What is the etiquette of being in God's presence? You have to be a worshiper. So here's what I need to tell you. That's why in the book of John chapter 4, the Lord is not looking for worship. You want me to repeat it? God is not looking for worship. What is God looking for? He's looking for worshipers. God help me. God is not looking for worship. Why? Heaven is saturated with worship. What did the Lord tell the woman at the well? The Lord is seeking what? True worshipers. And true worshipers are who? Are they that worship him in spirit. So the Lord does not need your voice. My brother, the Lord does not need your skill. He doesn't need it. He needs you. It's you that's the instrument. You are the instrument. Your instrument is just a byproduct. When you enter into the state of true worship, the first prerequisite is what? You must be in total union to those that are around the throne. So here's what I found out. I can be in a church that everybody is disagreeing with people and people are not talking. And they all come here and they try and lift up their hands before the Lord. And they act like we're worshiping. And the presence of God is not felt. Why? Why? Because you want to enter into the throne room, you've got to be able to be like the cherubim in the throne room. What are they like? They are looking at each other face to face. And what? And they are hovering over the throne. And their wings are what? Their wings are touching. What is that a sign of? We are in agreement, my brother. I got nothing against you. You got nothing against me. We have one purpose today. We're going to worship him that sits upon the throne. That's why Jesus said when you bring your sacrifice before the Lord and you find out your brother has ought against you, leave it there. And what? Go and make things right with your brother. Why? Because there's no schism in the presence of the Lord. Let me show you the secret of attracting the glory of God. The secret of attracting the glory of God is knowing that God is not looking for worship, but is looking for worshipers. And the true mark of a worshiper is that you are standing in total agreement, one with another, facing each other, united in worship. Every place you go that you ever achieve this, Pastor Justin, you don't need somebody to tell you that God has found a resting place. You will make his presence felt. It's not your songs, Malialis. Malialis, it's not your songs. It's not your songs, it's your unity. Why? Because true worshippers must what? When we enter into God's presence, I can have no problem with you, Abachan. I've got to look at you in the face and you look at me in the face and we cover the throne of the Lord in unity. Two different languages. I'm worshipping in Shona. And you can be there singing, you know, different language, it's not about language, it's about are we seeing eye to eye? Are we eye to eye? Are we united in worshipping the throne of God? those that understand this they elevate worship more than anything you guys that are doing the worship school let me tell you the secret to worship I don't care how gifted the people are that you're going to work with if they don't understand unity between the drummer and the lead singer and the person on the guitar and your unity with the pastor of the church you're in then you don't understand how to bring in the environment of heaven oh I know you want to invite the Lord but will you prepare a place for him to live are we okay Husband and wife, you haven't talked in two days, but each one of you are praying in your own rooms and worshipping. In Tamil. In different rooms. You haven't talked for two days. What are you doing? I'm worshipping Gatawe. No, you're not. You're wasting time, you're making noise. Because what is the prerequisite to true worship? Unity. Seeing eye to eye. What do you do? Deal with whatever problem is between you as husband and wife and then make a decision. Now, now we are all looking at each other eye to eye and we are worshipping him that sits upon the throne. Watch if the presence of God will not visit your home. God, please help me. Do you know why the Lord allows the, the Indian church to always be full of fights? Because he knows that they already love the Lord enough that if they can just get over that little disagreement they are too dangerous. God will come into your midst. He'll walk in your midst. What happens at a crusade? Why do people get healed at a crusade that don't get healed in church? Because when you're doing a crusade, you're usually in unity. <laughs> Everybody's working together. You know, the work teams that set up the stage are working together with the team that is running, you know, the, 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 the videos. They're working together with a prayer team in church. Why, why doesn't it happen in church? Too many fights. Uncle so-and-so is not talking to Auntie so-and-so. Auntie so-and-so is like, hey, you didn't put my child on the stage. And so, blah, blah, And the child on the stage has been messing around. He hasn't been living right. But he still wants to sing because, you know, I got a real good voice, you know. And I can, hallelujah. We don't care about that. Why? Because God is not looking for worship, son. He's got angels that can sing better than you. What is the Lord looking for? For a true worshiper. What is a true worshiper? One that can look at my brother and have him look at me. And say, Justin, I don't care where we disagree, my brother. But before we worship the Lord, I want you to know I'm with you, and I need to know, are you with me? Are we one? And When you say we are one, Pastor Felix, then now we look at him that's upon the throne. And because we are what? We are now covering the throne of God with our worship. The angels have been demoted, and you've been promoted to the place where lucifer used to dwell it is you now that offer the worship that creates the habitation of god so what then, then becomes the key your unity and your ability to be mature enough to be united is the key to true worship what happens when you <laughs> are you guys okay some of you are like can you preach about something else no this is it for today amen i'll preach about something else next time we need to talk about this how did, how was the church born can i tell you how the church was born they were all together in one place, and they were of one mind, and of one accord. What happened? They invaded heaven and met the prerequisite of the, of the beings before the throne room. The apostles looked at the women, looked at the mothers, and the mothers looked at them, and their children were there. And as they faced each other and worshipped he that was upon the throne, then came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled that house. Pentecost was born, not because the Lord wanted to give people tongues. Pentecost was born. Because the 120 achieved a place of perfect unity. They looked at each other and they looked toward God and they bridged the distance between heaven and earth. And the sound that began in heaven was heard on the earth. Are we okay? How does the enemy throw the curveball? He separates the generations. What, the older generation and the younger generation begin to fight? Why aren't you singing Malayalam songs? Well, because you raised us in Richardson. Amen. Well, because I was born in Garland. Not in Kota. But you can still sing some of our songs, I know. But you can still appreciate that our most expressive worship is in the language we're raised in. our language we understand. We're English-speaking. So the enemy has the older generation disrespecting the younger and the younger generation disrespecting the older. And then we forcefully meet together in one building and we're already copying an attitude one generation against the next because of style. Because one style says, why are you dimming the lights? The other style, why don't you have it bright? And you're fighting over things that don't matter to God because God is more concerned about your heart. You fight about stuff like that and then you lift up your hands and you think you can create an environment where God will dwell? You're on your own. You can sing a lot of songs. You can sing until the cows come home. Like every one of the cows, they come home. And still heaven will not visit. Because in order for you to visit heaven, you have to be able to see eye to eye, my brother, you and me. And we create a covering for the throne of God. The throne of God is left exposed wherever there is disunity. The throne of God is protected by worship. And the key to worship is oneness. What did Christ pray for his disciples? John chapter 17. Father, that they may be one. Like you and I are one. I in you and me, you know, you, and you in me and them in me. Oneness. What was he praying for? Let them know the oneness that animates heaven. Father, they don't get it. They don't get how heaven is one. How the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit are different personalities, but they're all one triune God. They don't understand our unity. Oh God, that you might make them one as you and I are one. Why? Because that's the secret of the dwelling place of God it's unity. Are we okay? So, parents, when you say, Oh, my kids are so dis- no, they're very disrespectful, very disrespectful. I'm very upset at them. Yeah. But don't let your being upset with them overlook the reason that you might have to also scale down and come to an understanding of what animates them. And you youngsters, I want you to also have an understanding of the heart of the older generation when they know the songs that they were raised with and they don't hear you singing those songs anymore. And But they associate their unity with God to some of those songs. They might feel like maybe you're losing something that was precious to them. But both generations must come to an understanding if you want the Lord to visit or you can have church without God. Do you know in the church in America right now, if God never showed up to church, there is not a single church that will stop opening its doors because we've been so used to operating without him. Ah, if the Lord left churches this, this Sunday, tomorrow, the doors are not shutting. People will still meet because they're used to operating without God. How do you know you've touched something? Believe me, when you achieve the unity that I'm talking about, God, please help me. You will just feel something. What is it? You feel the delight of heaven when it walks in amongst you. Because the Lord is not coming to endorse the younger so you can say to the parents, see, God is with us. He doesn't care about what you think about yourself. He cares about his kingdom. Neither is he trying to, you know, I'm really going to pour my spirit in the Malayalam service so these young English speakers can see, David is with us over there. He doesn't care about any of that. All he cares about is that you are united in worship. He's not out to try and make one group look better than the other. If you don't learn this lesson, here's what's going to happen. You'll continue to have church here at Zion. And you continue to try to convince your kids that God exists. And they'll continue to have doubts because they have not encountered him for themselves. Whenever you go on a retreat, why do you get a greater visitation sometimes than when you stay at home? Because you are united in your travel to one location. You all leave your homes and your businesses, you travel to one location. The first day is usually difficult because everybody is still bringing their business from their work and their fight with their boss. What happens usually Saturday night at a retreat? The glory of God shows down. Is it because the Lord loves off locations to meet with you? No. It's because they create an environment that fosters greater unity. You are together in the morning for the morning session. You're together in the afternoon. Your breakout sessions are together. Your lunch you experience together. Then you have service together. By the time you get into the evening, what have you come into? A greater sense of unity. And what happens when you achieve that? Heaven walks in on Saturday night and everybody talks about it was a glorious experience. The only thing you did differently was the quality of your unity. That's it. Are we okay? How many of you really want a visitation room? Well, I'm almost done for today, by the way. How many of you can genuinely say, Felix, I want to see God move? In my lifetime, I'm hungry to see a move of God. The angels no longer dominate the presence of God in the throne room. It's the spirits of just men made perfect. We are the invading force. You don't have to die to go into the throne room. You can enter boldly into the throne room right now. Your worship in the blood of Jesus Christ qualifies you to get there. How do I enter into the throne room? You don't enter by yourself. Do you know what the high priest had to do in the time of Aaron? In order for the high priest to get into God's presence, he had to be dressed in a special way. Do you know how he had to be dressed? Part of his dress had to have six stones on the left shoulder, six stones on the right shoulder, 12 stones on a breastplate. The six stones were representative of six of the tribes of Israel. The other six were representative of the other six tribes, and the twelve stones were representing the twelve tribes of Israel. That means that what? When you entered as a high priest into God's presence, you had your brothers and your sisters on your shoulder and on your heart. You went there not as an individual representing yourself. You went there as saying, I'm in unity with the nation of Israel. I come as a representative of one. Father, I'm not here representing myself. I'm here representing all my people. And only when when the high priest wore the breastplate of the 12 tribes and his shoulder carried the weight of the 12 tribes. Was the Lord allowing allow would the Lord allow him to get into the place to experience the Shekinah glory of God? Unity is the key. Unity is the key. Unity is the key. When the temple of Solomon was dedicated. Oh, let me go before that. When the when when the, when the tabernacle of Moses was dedicated, all the people gathered together as one nation before the Lord. Worship team, take your places. All the people gathered together as one nation and one as one people. As they began to worship the Lord, not with different agendas, but as one people, what began to happen? The glory of the Lord came into that into that place. And, and the glory cloud filled the the tabernacle. What happened, Second Chronicles chapter 3, when 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 um when um Solomon was dedicating the temple? They sang with one song. What was that song? For he is good and his mercy endures forever. For he is good and his mercy endures forever. For he is good and his mercy endures forever. And as they sang that one song as a nation united, what happened? The Bible says in the glory of the Lord filled the temple until the priests could do no work there. For God had taken over the service. The key to God showing up was what? They worshipped together with one voice, meaning they had achieved the That place of unity that creates the same environment that exists between the throne of God. And as soon as that was achieved, God's glory came down. Why is the Lord not visiting your home? Are you in agreement, husband and wife, parents and children? Your unity is the most important thing to attract the presence of God. Why is the Lord not moving in Zion? How united are you here? I don't know. Only you know. Is there a schism between the generations? Solve it. Why? Because you want God to move in this place. What will happen when God moves in this place? The people that come here, they'll keep coming back. Why? Because let me tell you this. People, that when they enter into an environment of God's presence, they know surely the Lord is in this place. Are you hearing this? some of you there's a breakdown in relationship between brothers and sisters you haven't talked to some members of your own family solve that you're all saved, you're all Christians but there's entire you know my brother and his wife and we don't talk solve it why? because your unity is the key to attracting the presence of God and I know you showed up on a Saturday night because you genuinely want to see God move Solve it. The one thing you should never tolerate is disunity. It means you shut everything down until unity is achieved again. Why? Because unity is the most important thing to God. It's not your voices, He's got angels that sing better than you. It's not your worship, but it's you, the worshiper. Are we okay? Let's all stand. Moment of honesty. Nobody here but us. We can talk. Are there any of you that the things I was talking about, the spirit of disunity, is, att- is attaching itself to a- some aspect of your life and you want the Lord to stand in the middle of that situation. If that's you, lift up your hand. Something that I said when I talked about unity was relating to you, your family to your situation right now. If that's you can you please just lift up your hands so I see who you are I want to pray for you. I see those hands. Lift them up high. Lift them up high come on, come on, be honest. The Lord is here right now I know the Lord gave me what he gave me for a reason. It was because he wants to break out in the miraculous in your life and one thing has been holding him back. The spirit of disunity has tried to attach itself to your family. Lift those hands up high. Let me see them. Don't be shy father you are the healer of the breach step into these situations even right now father unite your people brothers and sisters united cousins united families reunited parents and children united come on lift those hands high keep them high the spirit of the lord is working The Lord cares about you. He wants you to know his presence. He wants your children to know the presence of God. Leave those hands up high. For some of you, you have to be the one to forgive. Amen? Because what was done was done against you. And I'm asking you tonight, let it go. Let it go. Let them go. In the sense of forgive them. Be a champion for unity. What does the Bible say in the book of Matthew chapter 5 and verse 9? It said, blessed are the peacemakers for they shall be called the sons of God. It is you that takes the first steps to bridge the gap and bring peace where there was animosity. Why? Because we desire to see a move of God in our time. We want to create a resting place for the spirit of the living God so please let it go, please forgive whoever it is, whatever they have done let your heart be cleansed of any schism, of any break of fellowship, may your heart be cleansed of it. lift your hands up high, I do know who I'm praying for Father restore your presence ah restore your glory my God let your people know that you live let the youngsters grow up knowing the glory of the presence of the living God May this church walk in unity, Father. May this be a residence of the glory and the spirit of the living God. Lift those hands up high. Father, right now in the name of Jesus Christ, I thank you for intervening in every family represented here. I thank you for bringing healing, Father. The repairer of the breach. The restorer of streets to dwell in. May the spirit of unity come upon your people even right now. Holy Ghost, bind us together with cords that cannot be broken. Bind us together with love. And as we worship, build your throne. Father, as we worship, build your throne. One people, one voice, lifting up the name of Jesus. When we say hallelujah, may we sing it with one voice. It's the universal call to worship. The universal call to praise. We lift up hallelujah. My God, I feel your presence now. I feel you Lord Jesus. I feel you in this house. I feel you. Father, I pray that every hand raised in every life, may they receive a touch from your glory. Yes, May they receive a touch of your glory listen the altar is open young people if you want to come up to the altar come and worship with me let's just unite in worship come on to the front we're going to take this and we're just going to worship together come on up come on up come on up let's just worship together take this away pastor come on guys take us in the presence Jesus yeah oh yes